please stand and remain, uh, please remain standing and pray with me. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day, this Lord's Day, uh, that you are present unto us and that you raise your son Jesus Christ from the dead. I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself present in your word. Give me a mouth to preach and give us all ears to hear, hearts to uh, receive your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. And today we are continuing and finishing up our series through the kingdom parables. Two weeks ago, we heard of the parable of the sower and the soils. Last week, the parable of the weeds. And we continue on, and today we hear of parables over and over and over, rapid fire given in rapid succession, uh, and I'm going to try to cover all of them. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's, that's too much. Um, but it's interesting. All of these parables that Jesus gives in Matthew 13, they all interweave each other. They all have commonality. They all use a lot of similar terminology, different analogies, sometimes getting at the same points. We hear that the kingdom of God is like uh, leaven that's hidden in three measures of flour, like a treasure hidden in a field, which is found by a man, like a, a pearl of immense value that's found by a merchant. There's a lot of, of terminology that shows uh, continued, uh, continuation of theme throughout all of these different parables. In fact, there's a commonality behind all of them, and it's this modest appearance of the kingdom of God. It has this modest appearance. Even in the parable of the net, this is a retelling of the parable of the weeds last week. And we see that a net is thrown into the ocean. This is the kingdom of God. And it gathers fish of all kinds, good and bad. And it will not be sorted out until the end. And so it has, at least in this intermediate time, this gathering, a kind of a modest appearance where there's good and evil sort of mixed. Today, I want to talk about two of these parables, the, the parable of the mustard seed and parable of the leaven. And they're back to back, and they're really one main idea with two different illustrations, parables, parables being allegorical stories with a moral point. They kind of have the same point. And so that's what I want to uh, uh, focus on today and to dive into so please join me in your Bibles in Matthew 13. We're going to start in verse 31. Jesus gives this parable right after he shares the parable of the weeds. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So two weeks ago, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's sowing seeds. Last week, a man who sowed seeds in his field, and this week he creatively pivots and says, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that a man sows. He uses a lot of the same idea. This agricultural theme continues throughout, and it made sense because in that day and age, they were an agricultural society. Agriculture, uh, harvest, this is the, back, back, uh, uh, the backbone of their society. And so Jesus uses this terminology, but he pivots, he does pivot, because whereas the man uh, who cast seed initially was 
the analogy for the kingdom of God. Here it's the seed itself. We hear that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed. A grain, a teeny little seed. Elsewhere, Jesus uses the, um, uh, the analogy or the illustration of a mustard seed to point out how incredibly, immensely small his disciples' faith is. So in Matthew 17, uh, the disciples who are unable to cast a demon out of a man ask Jesus, what, what went wrong? What, why weren't we able to do this? And he says, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you just had the faith just the size of a grain of mustard seed, you'd be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. The point being, a mustard seed is tiny, insignificant, almost invisible to the naked eye. And whether that's actually the case or not, Jesus is using this for uh, an illustration for that reason. The kingdom of heaven is, starts off tiny, insignificant, almost invisible to our eyes. And yet we learn that it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. From the smallest of small to the largest of large trees is what it's compared to. And Jesus is borrowing Old Testament language when he is saying this. In Daniel uh, 4, we hear Daniel recount to Nebuchadnezzar his dream and give and later give an interpretation. But what he says is, a tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to the heavens. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. The beasts of the fields found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. Daniel is comparing Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon, this massive empire, to a large, massive tree. In Ezekiel 31, the prophet Ezekiel is doing the same about Egypt. He's giving a commentary about Egypt, and he says the following. So it towered high above all the trees of the field. Its bows grew large, its branches long. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its bows, and under its shadow lived all great nations. The birds are uh, an illustration, an allegory for the nations. A massive empire is this tree, and the nations, the birds, live in its branches. Jesus picks up on this terminology, and he says, this is what the kingdom of God will be like. It's teeny, insignificant, hidden from our eyes, and yet will become massive with branches that reach wide, and all the nations will be reached by this kingdom of God. The point being, the smallest of small becomes the largest of large in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus pivots and he gives another parable. In the parable of the leaven, he switches the theme to a domestic theme and focuses on cooking. And I'm like, great, another thing I'm really not good at. Planting, gardening, and, and cooking. Way to make me feel pretty insignificant. Um, so he points and says that the kingdom of God is like leaven. That is, a woman hid and took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Leaven being yeast. If you've ever cooked 
or uh, uh, baked bread, yeast is a pretty pivotal ingredient. It's used in all kinds of uh, things, but it's a, um, uh, an ingredient that what, what yeast does is it consumes the sugar and expands and uh, uh, releases carbon dioxide. So when yeast is put in something, it's a leavening agent. It makes it expand, makes it a little bit spongier, but not in like a bad way, in a good way. And um, what, it, you know, when, when we've made bread at home, it's pretty interesting to see when Lottie gets the yeast and activates it and then kneads it and kneads it into this dough, and there's this little ball of dough this size placed in this big plastic bowl that she puts a, a piece of cloth covering it, and then a few hours later, she pulls the cloth back, and that thing has expanded and absorbed the whole bowl. It's huge. It's massive. It's, it's, it's uh, mind-blowing, magic almost. And the idea is that's similar to the kingdom of God. But Jesus says it's a woman who has this three measures of flour takes and just hides it inside of it. Doesn't say that she needs it through, hides it in this dough. And it expands, it spreads throughout, and then expands. So it's interesting because Jesus uses leaven as an illustration for other things. And actually, he uses it for wickedness that uh, you are guilty by association and then that people's wickedness spread through a community. He says, uh, beware the leaven of the Pharisees when he's talking about their hypocrisy. St. Paul pulls from this same illustration in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6. He says, you're boasting, and he's talking to a church, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And he's saying, Evil and wickedness, when left unchecked, spread like gangrene, to use a different analogy. But Jesus takes it and pivots it and uses it for a positive with the kingdom of God. And his point being that the, the kingdom of God has a positive, like a, a, a positive spread and pervasive influence through the world. Even if it's hidden in the world, it will expand and spread and influence far and wide. In fact, we see this through history. The apostles, there were only 12 of them, and there were other followers of Jesus, on the day of Pentecost spread the word, and 3,000 are added to their number. It spreads from this city of Jerusalem throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you see this throughout the gospel or throughout the book of Acts, this spread, this pervasive spread of the kingdom of God like leaven. One other thing I want to point out in this parable is that this woman has three measures of flour, a, a, a measure being about equivalent to, to three gallons. So this is a lot of dough that she has prepared. And it's not for just a meal. She's not meal prepping for the week. This is for a banquet, a massive amount of people, over a hundred and so there's something of the kingdom of God, even though it's tiny and insignificant in its beginnings, will become this massive feast and banquet in the end. And we, at the Lord's table, get a foretaste of that banquet. The point being behind this parable is that a, the, a tiny hidden ingredient pervades the mass of dough. And that's just like the kingdom of God. That in its tiny, 
insignificant 12 fishermen beginning will pervade the whole world. So these two parables make up the parable, what I'm calling the parables of the conquering kingdom. The parables of the conquering kingdom of God with insignificant beginning has an incredible exponential growth in the end. Jesus is not the only person to speak of God's kingdom in this way. The prophet Daniel has a dream, which it turns out is the king's dream, um, that he himself interprets. And he says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 34, he recounts it. And he says, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then he says, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel, in this dream, he has a dream of a massive statue of a, of a man that is made up of multiple different materials. And it represents different empires, the Greeks, the Medes, uh, I think the Romans. And this massive statue, there's a little teeny pebble that's not made by human hands. It's hewn out, and it hits this statue, just like David hit, hits Goliath with a rock, and it smashes it. And then he says this. The stone that struck that image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This teeny, insignificant pebble fills the whole world and becomes a massive mountain. Daniel interprets it by saying, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, and clay, and silver, and gold. The kingdom of heaven, with insignificant beginning, eventually smashes the kingdoms of the world and engulfs it like a massive mountain. Like a small seed that becomes a massive tree that reaches out to the nations. Like leaven, the kingdom of God has a universal and pervasive influence. Now, I'm not negating what um, the previous parables stated. Not everyone will come into the kingdom of God. You see, people are like different soils, as Jesus said, and we don't all, we're not all receptive to the seed, which is the message of the gospel. Very few are. And even when the kingdom of God progresses, there will always be weeds, tares cast throughout. Wickedness and righteousness will have to commingle until judgment day. But what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God will make progress. The, the message of the kingdom has power and will change the world. The gospel itself will make progress. You see, I think Jesus gave us the Great Commission not as a mission set for failure, but the Great Commission will eventually become a success story. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7, we hear the following. 
John, in this vision, says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude no one could number from every language, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A few chapters earlier, we learned that this is a kingdom of priests. This is God's kingdom. And in the end, we'll have people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. It will be so incredibly great, we will not be able to count it or number it. The Great Commission will be a success story in the end. Not everyone will become part of God's kingdom. But from every tribe, from every nation, there will be disciples bending the knee to Jesus. So this, these parables subvert our meager expectations for what God's kingdom will do in history. And, I mean, if you look at history, it's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it's a bit of wheat and tares all throughout. There's good and evil mixed in. But God's kingdom started with 12 uneducated fishermen and in a few hundred years conquered the Roman world. I would say even before Constantine, there are so many people bending the knee to Jesus. God's kingdom created the West, transformed our ethics. Universities, hospitals were established. Scholasticism and uh, the scientific inquiry methods for that were all the result of God's kingdom spreading. Now, at times, God's kingdom might seem bleak today, especially today might again seem small like a mustard seed. But that's because we have um, our horse blinders on and we think that the West is really the only thing that matters. If you look at the global South, the church is spreading like wildfire. People are bending the knee to Jesus, confessing his name everywhere. And even if that weren't the case, though, and things looked bleak, kind of like Elijah says, I'm the only one left. That's not true. Because Christ's promise is that the kingdom of God will be like a seed that becomes a massive tree. will be like a little bit of leaven hidden in dough that becomes enough for a massive banquet, a large feast. So what does this mean for us? In looking at this parable... And taking it in, we should have a confident expectation of the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean there's not going to be a whole lot of hardship and suffering and negative that happens in our world. But we know the end. We know what God's kingdom will look like in the end. And we hear in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 24, then comes the end. When Jesus delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power, he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last to be destroyed, defeated, is death. Jesus will be successful, and in the end, he will win and conquer even death itself. Jesus wins. The kingdom of God is inevitable, and this should instill within us a confident expectation. And that's in contrast to constant hand-wringing. Oh, things are getting horrible. They're getting worse. They're, it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket. It's awful. And that might look and appear true. But we know what God's word says. 
And we need to have a confident expectation that Jesus will be victorious. This also serves as a reminder of the coming banquet that is being prepared for us, which it's not ready yet. Eventually, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the massive feast, which is the new heavens and new earth, will be ready and prepared for us. And we do get a foretaste today at this table where we feast on the consecrated bread and wine of the body and blood of Christ. And so you are invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb, a feast which is the kingdom of God. You're invited to this today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.